Welcome to Mentioned in Dispatches, the podcast from the Western Front Association, with me, Dr Tom Thorpe. The WFA is the UK's largest Great War History Society. We have around 6,000 members worldwide and around 50 branches. For more information, visit our website at westernfrontassociation.com. It is the 12th of June 2023 and this is episode 304. On today's Dispatches podcast, I talk to Dr Alan Jeffries from the National Army Museum about his recent collected volume of essays on the Indian Army. This has been recently published by Helion. Alan spoke to me from his home in London. Alan, welcome to the Dispatches podcast. May you start by telling us about yourself and how you became interested in the Indian Army and the Great War. Um, oh, thanks very much. Um, so I'm uh, head of equipment and uniform at the National Army Museum. Um, my original interest was the First World War was a, from from school, um, but I got um, uh, I did an MA in War Studies at King's College London, and there were so many First World War historians um, in the sort of 1990s that I sort of got interested in the Indian Army and more into the Second World War. Um, but then saying that, once you look at the Second World War, you've got to you, you've got to also look at the First World War. So you know, I'm I'm sort of interested in, in the Indian Army all the way through these days, and uh, particularly sort of the first half of the, the 20th century. So before we start, can you tell us what the Indian Army was, its origin, size, and purpose? Um, so the Indian Army is um, the instrument of control to basically prop up the the British Empire. Um, in India, but also, um, you know, uh, further afield. Um, its origins start in the 1740s with um, um, guarding the factories of the East India Company. Um, and and these grew into the three um, presidency armies of Bombay, Madras and uh, Bengal. And the armies gradually expanded. Um, and by the time of the 1857 rebellion, um, there are 200 thousand about 200,000 Indian troops and 40,000 European troops um, and then in 1858 the army comes under the control of um, the crown and the president the presidency armies are combined in 1895 to form the Indian army um, and before the first world war the main roles of the army were um, internal security and fighting on the northwest frontier and um, by 1914 the army numbers around about 155,000 and then Obviously, during the First World War, uh, it undergoes a rapid expansion uh, to undertake a global role. And there, by the 11th of November 1918, there were over a million uh, soldiers um, serving abroad. And similarly, in the Second World War, um, the Indian Army expanded to over um, to well over two million. Now, what has been the historiography surrounding the Indian Army uh, before and, and during the Great War? Um, so... Uh, I think it's not really into the publication of David Amissi's um, Seapoint the Raj in 1994, um, as well as perhaps the work of um, Tony Heathcote, that actual academic histories were being uh, began to appear. Um, uh, prior to that, histories tended to be surveys by you know retired Indian Army officers or even civil servants. Um, the most well known of which is I think is um, Philip Mason in his book A Matter of Honour, which is actually quite a good read. 
But as historians Ray Callahan and Dan Marston have actually pointed out in, in, in this edited volume, and I quote, it's heavily anecdotal and drenched in nostalgia, which uh, I think works rather well. But um, I think 2014 um, uh, was quite an incredible year, really, for um, histories of the Indian Army in the First World War. Um, and I've got a pile here on my desk. And, 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 and in 2014 alone, George Morton Jack's The Indian Army and the Western Front came out. Um, James Kitchen's The British Imperial Army in the Middle East came out, as well as um, Nicholas Gardner's The Siege of Kut Ala Amara. Those three books in the in the in the first year of the anniversaries, and, the, and then the next year, uh, Peter Stanley's Die in Battle, Do Not Despair, about the Indian troops in Gallipoli, um, and then following on from that, um, Santanu Das's India Empire and the First World War Culture came out in twenty eighteen, and then more recently, um, two excellent books by um, well, one by Ra- Radhikis Singer, The Coolies' Great War, Indian Labour. The global conflict 1914 to 1921 came out in 19, um, 20, uh, 2020. And then la- um, last year, Andrew Jarbo's Indian soldiers in World War One, race and representation in an imperial war. And and that's just a, a few of the books that, that, that have come out since 1940. Um, and it's interesting when students sort of say now, you know, what, what, what do you recommend as, as the best books on um, Indian soldiers? And, and the Indian Army during the First World War, rather than you know what books are there that are on the Indian the, the Indian Army during the First World War, um, uh, uh, and it, it just um, uh, and it's great to see really. So now we turn to um, the meat, I suppose, of the podcast and your collection of essays on the Indian Army that you have just recently published uh, with Helion. Now. What does this collection of work um, say about our understanding of the Indian Army during the Great War? Um, so the the book was originally published in hardback in 2018. Um, and uh, uh, the idea was a small contribution to mark um, the end of the centenary commemorations of the First World War. So firstly, the intention was to uh, sort of an updated volume of essays by both sort of established and early career historians but to complement a, a little-known volume um, called India and World War One, which was edited by Ellen C. DeWitt and S.D. Pradhan, um, which was published in Delhi by Manohar in 1978. Um, and, it, and it's an excellent little volume, um, and it's not sort of really wide, widely known outside of India. Um, and so it could showcase the new research undertaken in, in the intervening 40 years, but in particular since 2014. Um, and then there's an uh, opportunity from scholars from, you know, um, from India, the US, Australia and Britain to uh, showcase their work. And then secondly, it was intended as a companion volume to um, uh, the Indian Army 1939-47 uh, Experience and Development, which was published in paperback by two volumes of essays that might it was hoped that be very useful for students looking at the Indian Army. So this volume, it's um, it covers the important role of the army as the Imperial Reserve, both on the Western Front in Canal and in Mesopotamia. There are two chapters on the role of religion, as well as essays on combined operations, mobilization of horses in India, prisoners of war and demobilization. And includes a chapter on Winston Churchill's port- portrayal of the Indian army in Gallipoli. Um, the first chapter by Ray Callahan and Dan Marston, who I mentioned earlier, is entitled Neglected Soldiers. And, and they give an overview of the imperial and global role of the army throughout the war. 
as well as the historiography of the army, which they say, and I quote, fell into a curious limbo after 1947. Um, and then there's a, a chapter on the expansion of the um, of the office corps, um, which shows the army underwent a rapid expansion to undertake these um, the, the, these global roles, um, which meant the officer corps expanded from about two and a half thousand in 1914 to over nine and a half thousand um, officers commissioned by 19. And it was done through a combination of extending the Indian Army Reserve of Officers, which actually only amounted to 39 officers in 1914. And it was done through recruiting largely Europeans residing in India. Uh, By 1918, 5,300 commissions had been granted. And these wartime officers were were, um, trained at four temporary officers, um, which um, uh, served as a very useful uh, blueprint also for training officers during the Second World War. Um, regular officers for the Indian Army were still recruited uh, and they were trained at um, uh, Quetta and Wellington and and a small number were um, um, were still trained at Sandhurst um, and sent out to India. Um, but most interesting, I think, um, in 1918, a temporary um, school uh, for Indian cadets was formed at Delhi College in Indore. Um, 39 officers passed out in 1919 and 33 in 1920. And they included um, the future uh, Field Marshal Karyapa, who is um, CNC India um, in uh, the first first CNC after uh, after independence. Uh, and also uh, General um, Rudra, who had an interesting career. He, he'd served in the British Army during the First World War and then commissioned um, was commissioned at Indore and um, uh, served in the 28th Punjabis for for, for um, quite a period of time as one and was one of only three officers who, who weren't um, three Indian officers who weren't um, in Indianized regiments in some 30. Um, and, and it's very, very highly thought of. Um, but unfortunately, um, the uh, Cadet College uh, um, in, in Indore didn't um, last and it was not until the formation of the Indian Military Academy in 1932 that um, Indian officers um, uh, were um, trained and commissioned in India. And by 1939, there were um, uh, about 400 Indian officers commissioned in the Indian Army, a number that increased by um, 15,000 by the end of the Second World War. Um, and then, right, well, it was uh, probably... A, talked a bit too much about that because it's uh, the area that I've done most of my my own research um but one of the um uh, one of the other chapters um is by David Amissi he did he provided two chapters for the um for the volume um and he did one on the Sikh experience during the first world war he looks into why Sikhs were recruited into the Indian army and what role they played what difference did the war make to one of the army's most important martial races and how the war was, was received in the Sikh recruiting areas of the Punjab how much Sikh opposition was there to the war, and what were the main legacies of the war for the British Sikh military relationship? And just looking at the last of these questions, um, he, um, he 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 um, looks into the 1919 Government India Act, which enfranchised all ex-soldiers. So in the Punjab, for example, Sikhs were only 11.1% of the population, but they had 24.1% of the vote because of the large number of ex-soldiers. Um, 
And then in the limited self-government in the Punjab, it resulted in 10 out of 58 seats, although that, that was deemed still not deemed sufficient by the, um, the Sikh population. However, the real turning point came in uh, 13th, on the 13th of April 1919 in Amritsar, uh, the centre of the Sikh religion, where 379 were killed when General Dyer ordered his troops to fire on a crowd at Jallianwalabad. The massacre and the British reaction helped kickstart the, the Akai Sikh Kali Sikh movement, who also were involved in pushing for Indian in, uh, independence, so it just it shows the um, uh, the, um, uh, the 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 legacy of the um, of the British and Sikh uh, military relationship um, from, um, from from the end of the war onwards, and and that's just three of the three of the chapters um, that have gone into it a little bit indeed. And finally, um. What what I suppose this is a, this is a really difficult question to ask. But what else do we still need to learn about the Indian Army? Obviously, your 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 volume helps us move along that road. But are there still major areas that we are still lacking? I suppose considerable data and 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 historiography on. Um, uh, yeah, I, th- I, I I think there is. I mean, recently I've been looking at um, the records for um, officers. Which are uh, available in the um, in the British Library, um, and British and Indian officers. But the real lack is there's no records for Indian soldiers, or well, certainly not available here. And and as far as I can see, not really available in India. Um, but I mean, ongoing research is going on in archives in India, so so you never know. But um, uh, I, I think that'd be an area if if if. if um, records do surface that would be a very interesting indeed um and then a lot has gone uh, a lot of research has been done on the military history of um of the indian army uh, indian soldiers but perhaps more now is being done on the social cultural history um which i think is um which is really good to see as well can people learn about the indian army at the national army museum um uh so i've only been at the national Museum for six months, and I always knew they had um, good uh, collections on the Indian Army. But but, but ha- having joined the uh, the joined the museum now, the collections are very very impressive. I have to say, um, uh, you know, so much um, that I, I didn't quite realize how 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 rich they were. Um, so yes, I, I think it's a, a great place to start research uh, for anyone looking into um, the, the Indian Army, the photograph collections, the archives. Um, there's some amazing uniforms um, from uh, largely Indian Army officers, um, but it, it absolutely, absolutely incredible, really rich, and I, I just didn't realise how how rich they were. And finally, where can people get the book and learn more about the Indian Army? Um, the place, well, the, the publishers are Helion, and so they're available from, from their website. Um, it's published in a series, uh, War and Military Culture in South Asia. And, um, and, um, that includes books, um, like Peter Stanley's on, on Gallipoli that I just mentioned, and also my own book on, um, Approach to Battle, which covers training during the Second World War. And then I think it's available, you know, uh, um, uh, through, you know, other avenues on the internet. Alan, thank you very much for your time. Yeah, correct. You have been listening to the Mentioned in Dispatches podcast from the Western Front Association with me, Tom Thorpe. Thank you for all my guests for appearing on this edition. 
The theme music for this podcast was George Buthworth's The Banks of Green Willow. It was performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, conducted by Chris Rusman and produced by Biz Records. This recording is part of a collection of orchestral works by Butterworth, performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales and supported by the Western Front Association. This is available from all good record stores under the record code BIS2195. Until next time.